And I'm excited that we finish our series today um, as we are looking at the Song of Mary. And so uh, we've had our pastors uh, lead us through uh, this song, and, and I'm getting the end part of it today. And I'm excited that we can, we can close today with looking at uh, Jesus being the judge of all of the world. That, that may sound a little strange that right before Christmas we're talking about judgment, but I hope at the end it will make perfect sense and we'll find ourselves rejoicing that indeed he is the judge. And so uh, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole song uh, just so that we can remind ourselves of the context, and then I will be preaching from verses 52 through 55. So read with me. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this good word. We thank you for this wonderful song that is you set Mary aside to be the mother of Jesus on this earth. How unworthy she felt, how humbled she was to receive this news, but yet here she is exalting in you. Father, may we take heed of your word today. May we be just like her, in praising you and your greatness. We trust your judgment, for your judgment is good. Help us to understand that even more today. When we're confused by events, when we're confused by evil rulers, when we're confused when things just don't seem to be in its place, but yet you are over all things. You are good, you are sovereign, you are in control, and this we trust. We thank you for Jesus, because by Jesus' coming, this has been made clear. You are the good judge. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Way back before my wife and I um, were married and we were dating, this was around 2004, she bought a Razor phone from Motorola. It was uh, legit. I mean, it was, this was before iPhones. And so her saving up her money and purchasing this phone was a wonderful gift to herself, and she was so excited to receive it when it came to her. And I believe we have a picture of it. There it is in all of its splendor. And you see this design of it. It's a flip phone. Yes, uh, phones did flip like that back in the day. And, but you can also see the sleek design and then the colored screen, which was a really big deal back in the day. And it would fit really nice in the back pocket. And I mean, she just loved this phone. And she was playing with it as we went on a road trip to see some friends. And we were carpooling over there and spent a weekend with some of our really good friends. And 
On the way back, we were getting ready to leave town, and we were almost out of the town we were staying in. A friend called us and said, hey, Curry left her phone. I know it's brand new. It's, it's precious to her, so you may want to turn around and come back and get it. And so as we pulled back into the neighborhood where we were staying, I said, I'll, I'll get it. I'll go get the phone. You just stay here. It's all good. And so I started to walk up to the house where we were staying. And out on the balcony comes my buddy with the phone in hand. And the smart, most wise thing to do would have been to walk up the steps and, and thank him and, and have that phone placed in my hands and to say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, calling us back so I could take this phone to my uh, hopefully wife-to-be one day. But no, I didn't do that because I just didn't have good judgment. No, because we played ball together in college. We, we played college football, um, flag football, that is. Uh, that when I walked up, I held out my hands as if to say, just toss it. It's a brand new phone that my wife-to-be saved up, and I'll catch it. I have good hands. Just toss it. So he let it go. And here it comes, and I'm following it. And all of a sudden, it hit off my butterfingers and crashed onto the pavement. And that nice little sleek design broke in two pieces, hanging by the wire. And all of a sudden, I panicked, and, and I did the first thing I could think of. I looked back at my buddy and said, I wasn't ready. <laughs> and he says, he, he says, you always drop it when you're open. And uh, that's true. So I picked it up and I walked back to the car and Curry already saw this happen. And I was terrified of what she was going to do to me. And I bring her the phone and I said, I am so sorry. That was bad judgment on my part. And she said, mm-hmm. And I said, I, but here's the good news. I, I think I can fix it. I think I can fix it. There's no way I was fixing this, but I don't know why I even said it. But it's like, I can fix this because that's what we want to do. When we show bad judgment, we fail. We just want to fix it and put it back together. And that was quite the awkward ride home, three hours home. I felt bad for our friends who were in the front seat because Curry could not get close enough to the passenger side door on the other side. And I still see her uh, looking at me, not with brown eyes, but red eyes at that moment. And she was pretty angry. But you know what? After that, she went to Passion Conference and the Lord convicted her and she forgave me. And it was good. So thank you, Louis Giglio, for letting the Lord use you in that way. But it was just bad judgment. It was, it was really bad judgment on my part. And, you know, we, we all have moments where we use bad judgment. And if we're honest, there's something that hits our hearts sometimes. And it's a wicked, wicked thought, but it's true. We think, did God use the best judgment here? Is, is God really in control was this the best method? Was this the best possible way to, that he could oversee this situation? And is he not in control? Because it doesn't seem like he's really in control. Is he, is he really a good judge? Is he, is he really the judge of all of the world? And we struggle with that. But here's the beautiful thing. When, when Mary is magnifying the Lord because she is the blessed mother of Jesus, She's saying, you are good and you are judge. And by you sending your son, this is showing forth that you provide for the weak and you will humble those who think that they are strong and that they don't need you as their 
good judge. And so I want you to follow with me today as we are looking at the judge of all the world. And the question we just asked is this, is God the judge over all the world? Well, Scripture confirms this. Isaiah 40, 21 through 23. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Verse 23, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. See, he brings princes to nothing. Being a prince, you can feel that you are something, you are someone, you're in a position of authority, and he brings them all the way down. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We struggle with this, don't we? Church, listen to this. May we be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Do you know what God's word is saying? He is the ultimate authority in every king that's in place, every ruler that's in place, every president that is in place is because he instituted it. He put it in its place. John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is Jesus referring to? He's looking to Pilate and he's saying, you say you have authority to let me go, but you have no authority except for what my father has given you. He put you in this place, in this time, in the frame in which you exist. He placed you here because I would stand before you and you would have no answer when people say crucify him and and Pilate, you wouldn't know what to say. But it's okay because God puts you in this place and because the purpose for me being here is to die so that I may rise again. So that I may may forgive sinners and give them life so that they will rise and live forever. God puts rulers in their place. So is God the judge of all of the world? Yes, because he holds authority over this world in which he created. So he is in control. So, as we read here in this song, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and the rich he has sent away empty. First thing we see here is that Mary acknowledges God's faithful work of the past. God brought down evil rulers in the Old Testament. Those like Pharaoh and Saul and Ahab and his wife Jezebel. In Daniel 2.21, it says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So we can trust that God is in control even when we don't understand those who are in leadership, why they would be in leadership, why they do the things they do, the cruelty that they show towards the weak. God is still in control. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. So if this is the case, why wouldn't pride come before the fall of kings and princes and presidents? Why wouldn't we expect there to be 
pride. It was pride that led to the ultimate fall of man in the garden. And so it is the same for those who rise up to positions of authority and think that they have full control. The greater the obligations that are given to us by God, the more we ought to rely on him. This applies to all of us, whatever the obligations are. The greater the obligations, the more we ought to rely on him. But to a lost man, those who do not acknowledge Christ as Lord, as creator, as sustainer, as judge of all the world, this person will take his God-given authority and boast all the more. He or she will abuse their power by foolishly believing that they are above the law, free to embrace anything that brings them pleasure, applying no limits to their cruelty and tyranny. So, pride is involved with the fall. God puts men and women in positions of authority and leaves them to themselves to rule from their own wicked hearts. And yes, there comes destruction, but there will be a day when he removes them and he puts someone else in their place. So why God allows men and women to serve in powerful roles like this really is beyond our understanding. We can get around a circle and we can begin to talk and throw out ideas of what God may be up to, but we really do not know. But we must understand that he is good and trust his authority as he reigns supreme over his creation. I know that when we talk about this subject, we begin to think of men like Hitler. How could God ever put a man like Hitler in place and yet God still be good? And that's why I appreciate this book uh, that Erwin Lutzer wrote, and I recommend it to you. Hitler's Cross, How the Cross of Christ Was Used to Promote the Nazi Agenda. And here's what he has to say about Hitler's reign and God's authority over Hitler's reign. He says, all authority is delegated by God. This gives us confidence even when wicked rulers rise to power. Persecution always divides the sheep from the goats. It either divides people into the arms of God or abandons them to their just fate. God was doing more in Nazi Germany than we will ever realize. God is in charge because he is the creator and sets the limits. Hitler was responsible because of what he chose to do within those divine parameters. So that helps us. There are divine parameters in which he could act, but Hitler is responsible for his actions. God did not do evil when he delegated authority to Hitler. However, Hitler did evil by misusing that authority. What is more, God does not pass judgment on himself because there's no standard outside of himself to which he must conform because he is the standard. So if we consider the larger picture, Hitler, though controlled by Satan, ruled according to the permission and discretion of God Almighty. God gave Satan the latitude to deceive Hitler, and Hitler himself made choices that led him into such deceptions. To me, I'm, I'm grateful for this explanation because it does make a lot of sense in how God rules over the world, and yet there are rulers 
on this planet that rule with cruelty and tyranny, but yet they will not get away with it. And when Mary is singing her song, she is rejoicing because Israel is but a shell of what it used to be. And she's excited for her people that the Savior is coming and that he will fill them with life and that there will be judgment against those who have oppressed them. But yet she had no clue just how great his judgment is and how much life he would bring to the people, not only of Israel, but those outside of Israel as well. God is always faithful to uproot evil at the proper time. If you're struggling with why God allows certain things, just know that he was always faithful to uproot evil at the proper time. Everything falls underneath his sovereign plan, and let us not forget that he is just in his judgment. Judgment upon wicked rulers and judgment upon a wicked creation. He could choose to never provide us good leaders or noble leaders, but by his common grace he does And he also restrains the wicked from being as totally depraved and wretched as we possibly can be. We've seen some wretched things from this creation, but not as wretched as it quite possibly could be. He restrains, he holds back. Psalm 75, 7, it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. And so Mary acknowledges this, that he puts down the wicked and he lifts up the poor, the needy, and he fills them. And I just want to encourage you with this. You may feel like you don't have much. Even at this Christmas time, you may feel like you don't have much to give, much to offer. You can look around and go, wow, they sure do have a lot of presents among them. We don't have so many children If you gather around the tree and you feel like you just don't have much, will you hear this, that Jesus will give you more than you could ever ask for. Jesus gives you life, and you'll never go, wow, I wish Jesus could just give me more. Because as you hear the good word of the Lord, and as you study it, and as you grow in Christ Jesus, he will fill you, and this is abundant life. Abundant life. And Mary is singing of this, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. So secondly, Mary acknowledges God's faithful work in the present by calling uh, Mary to be the mother of Jesus on earth. She's excited about this. And she's saying, "Who, who am I? I'm just a girl about to have a king. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. It was not her own righteousness, nothing that she had worked to attain to be in this position, but all by God's grace And it was Christ who displayed the greatest humility. Christ displayed the greatest humility for all of us to see. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Do you hear that? Being born in the likeness of, this, of, of us, Jesus stepped down. He let go of something to come down. Doesn't mean that he was any less God. He was still 100% God and 100% man in the flesh. But yet he stepped down from the throne to come upon this earth in which he had created. And he lived among us. 
He displayed the greatest humility on earth. And Christ came for the lowly on earth. What good news for us that we don't have to work hard for him to be pleased with us and to accept us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, will you hear this clearly? There's no work that you have to go out and do before you are qualified to be a Christian. Will you just recognize that you are lowly on this earth, that you are in great need of a Savior and trust that Jesus is the one? He came in humble fashion. Christ came for the lowly on earth. Luke 15, 7 Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What does this mean? Does it mean that there are actually righteous people on earth who need no repentance? No. We have had leaders who have boldly stated, leaders that currently serve, who have said, I have no need to repent, for I don't do wrong. What do I need to repent of? Understand that repentance is something we need to do every day. Every day we need to be repenting. We have things in our lives that we need ask forgiveness of to the Lord. We need to die to. We have selfishness that's bound up in our hearts. We constantly need to be repenting of our sin. But this is good news. This doesn't mean that you're just the worst of the worst. It means you're lowly. You recognize your lowliness and his greatness. And yet he is good that when we repent, he restores. We repent, he restores. We repent, he restores. Do you need to be restored today? Repent. Trust in Jesus that we can confess our sin to him and be healed. So what application does this uh, have for us today? What does it mean to be lowly? Well, we just talked about it. It means to be in a place where you can repent. If you're in a position where you say you have no need to repent, you're not in a lowly position. You're in too high of a position. And beware because God will bring you down. But trust that in your lowly position, that he will strengthen you, he will feed you, he will give you everything you need in sustaining you here in this life and for eternal life. But the lowly recognizes that Jesus is great and he is the only way to the Father. The lowly will look around on earth and go, you know what, I don't need all of these things All I need is Christ. And if I have Christ, then everything else is just an added gift. And may I use it all for his glory. But can prosperity be good? I mean, don't we have to be careful of the prosperity gospel that we receive things and then people look upon us and go, well, yeah, are you really spending your money wisely now? Did you really need all of that? Listen, you may have some really nice things. And you may have been struggling with this. You may be struggling with, should I buy something this nice? Some of you struggle with it this Christmas. You're wondering, did I really need to get this present? All prosperity is not bad. It's when we make it an idol, when it's a must-have, when it becomes a a center focus of worship for us, when it's a we can't live without it, then there's trouble. But God wants to give you good things in life. And because he provides you maybe a great job, maybe a great situation, in which you can have some nice things. I don't think that means that we then have to say, but no, I'm lowly. I can't enjoy any of that. No, you can take the things he provides for you and give him glory. What does this require? It requires discernment from the Holy Spirit. I give you no easy answers here today as to what you need to purchase and what you don't need to purchase. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit, but just know that you can have good things. So can prosperity be good? Yes, it can be good. 
So how do we turn prosperity into something bad? How do we turn obligations into something bad? It's when all of a sudden we want authority. How do we turn um, gifts into something bad when we spend all of our time on that and no time with the one who provided it for us? Do you hear that? Man, y'all, we do this. We do this all too much. We find ourselves, I, I think one of the most dangerous positions that we find ourselves in today are our gifts that we spend so much time on. Now, you say, you just said gifts could be good. Yes, indeed, they can be. But measure out the time in which you use on these gifts. You know, it was funny that I was talking about that Motorola phone, that razor. And I could do all of that because my wife's not in the room this morning. She's in the nursery, so don't y'all go telling her. No, she already knew I was going to say. Don't worry. I brace her for it. Because I know there's just going to be those who can't wait to get over there and say, guess what your husband said today, all right? But then all of a sudden, you know, technology advances, and it's, and it's advanced in this way. Guess what? There is a competition going, uh, maybe you heard it on the radio, that they will give $100,000 to someone, whom, whoever they choose, if they can go a year without their smartphone. They can even have a flip phone. They can have a flip phone, but they can't, and for emergency purposes, but to go a year without their smartphone, $100,000. I'm like, I think I could do that. I really think I could rock that. Um, I don't know where to sign up, but if you know, tell me, and I'll give every last penny to the church. All right, <laughs> there we go. But that's crazy to think that that's a real competition, that that would be so hard. And we're just talking about a span of 10 to 15 years difference from where we were. And so I think we have to be very careful with the things that we have been given that can be used for very good purposes. They absolutely can, but they can also rule our lives. And that's where we need good accountability around us to point those things out. It's no fun when my wife comes up to me and says, uh, you're just going to spend the rest of your day on that phone, or are you going to get off anytime soon? I think I'll go ahead and get off now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And so we need, we need good accountability. We need that because we don't even know. We don't even know at times. And so what, the point I'm saying is that when, how can we turn prosperity into something bad? It's when someone like Saul in the Old Testament was hiding when they were ready to uh, call him to be king. And then we see towards the end of his days, he's throwing spears at David because he's threatened by him. What a change in behavior. That's how you take prosperity and you turn it into something bad. But yet, 54 and 55 is a great assurance to us. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Oh, I'm so grateful for God's mercy, aren't you? As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I love how, how Paul spells it out as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 2 when he's saying, when we speak of offspring, we're, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus. So when God was talking to Abraham and he said, and to your offspring, it was more about his son than it was ever about Abraham. And so what do we get from this? What do we get from 54 and 55? Here are three quick things. Mary acknowledges God's faithful promise of the past, his remembrance, his mercy that he showed. A remembrance, not that he forgot anything, but that he was just always faithful to fulfill. 
Understand that. God didn't go, oh, man, I forgot about you guys. How things been going lately? You know what? I need to provide for you. No, it's not that kind of remembrance. It's I've always had you on my mind, always had you on my heart. I've always had you in my sights. Remembers the faithful promise of the past. Mary acknowledges God's faithful promise in the present. In the present, what God is doing in that moment by providing his son. And then Mary acknowledges God's faithful promise for all time, for the offspring forever. You can trust that Jesus, his salvation for you is forever, forever, because it's based on his promise. It never fails. So God provides justice through Jesus, his son. And so we say the word judgment and people think that doesn't sound like a loving God. Can we just not talk about God's judgment? Can we just talk about God's love? I feel a lot better talking about God's love. I think we win more people if we just talked about God's love. I don't know. I'm not quite sure about that. I think if we really taught about the judgment of God, then people would understand how much God hates sin. I have a better understanding of how much God hates sin and just how great his love is. It doesn't sound like a loving God, one who would judge, but we cannot have a truly loving God without his judgment. God would not be a loving God if he did not display his judgment. Think about all the injustice in the world. Think about all the things that are happening before us. The heartbreaking things that are happening around us. And it may appear to go unnoticed, but understand this, all must give account before the one and only righteous judge. I'm going to give you some good news today, church. Good news, and here it is. He will judge. He is judging. He will judge. Everyone must stand before God. No one will escape justice. Now, when I say that, you may go, "Uh uh-oh. If no one escapes his justice and he is good and he is holy and he is righteous, what does that mean for me? Well, I think we see that in Psalm 130, 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I think we could all agree with that. If he's going to start marking iniquities, if he's going to start recalling things we've done, not a single one of us can stand and go, I'm here, I'm righteous, I'm good. Not a single one of us. No, none of us can stand in that condition, but verse four, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Do you know what forgiveness does for us, church? It propels us to fear God all the more. I I, I fear that we've gotten it out of whack. We say, oh, forgiveness means that we can just take advantage of God. No, his forgiveness leads us to fear him to be in awe of him. How would you ever forgive me of all the things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I've done? Listen, this is true. I have a hard time going back to my hometown. You know why? Because of things I did when I was younger. I have a hard time riding through those streets because of the memories of the things I did when I was young, things I just wish I could take back. And you may have similar things going on in your life, And that's real. I had a hard time figuring that out. It's like, what is it about this town that I just don't return to and go, oh, I'm so glad I'm home. 
It's because of who I was. And yet God has forgiven me of all of those things. and I can stand. And you know what? It's who I still am. And yet every day I can repent of sin and an awareness of sin that God brings in our lives as we grow in Christ. And I fear him all the more. That he, haven't, that he didn't crush me way back when. That he doesn't crush me now. Why? Because of his forgiveness, it leads us to fear him, to trust him, to love him. It was at the cross where heaven's peace and perfect justice met. That's where they meet, right there. Heaven's peace and perfect justice displayed on the cross. When the Bible's teaching about judgment is dismissed, all victims of injustice, violence, and oppression are then put at risk. If God is a God of love without the accountability of justice, then vulnerable people become more vulnerable, and bullies are encouraged to continue bullying. To all of our little ones who are here today, normally you may be in children's church, and you have behaved so well today. Way to go. I'm so proud of you, and I'm almost done, okay? Um, But listen, if you struggle with bullying at school, and there's some kids that are just giving you a hard time, little ones, listen to me. God loves you. You can trust him. You can know that he will protect. He will provide. There may be some hard things you have to go through, but God's just not ignoring these things. You can trust him, and he will strengthen you. He will help you. He will heal you, and I just want you to hear that today. And parents, I want you to encourage your kids in this because we may forget how hard it is at that age and the things that they're going through. We may think they're just playing, but there may be something else going on there. This gospel's for them. It's for us. Here's what we need to know about patience. (laughs) Jesus is coming back to set the world right. He's coming back to restore creation to its original intention. The reason it has been almost 2,000 years is because God is giving people a chance to repent to turn from their sins and to trust him, thus escaping the coming wrath. So we sang earlier, come thou long expected Savior. Come, Jesus. We're ready for you to come. Yes, we're ready for him to come, but in every day that's provided for us that we're still here is another day for people to repent and look to Jesus. May we be about this good work, and may we trust that he judges and he judges rightly. To those who look all-powerful, to those who are intimidating, to those who may give you a hard time. It's not in our hearts that we should wish bad to happen to them, but we can trust that God will do what is right. God will humble them. And to those who are lowly, to those you're saying, I just have enough to get by, but thankful that you have that this Christmas. Can we gather around the tree? If you have a tree in your home, Can we gather together as family? Can we gather together as friends? And we can go, wow, we are so grateful that Christ came for the lowly. He will do what is right. He has done what is right. He is doing what is right. He will do what is right. So with all this in mind, let me just read the end of this song one last time. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. He is the judge of all the world, and he judges rightly. So thankful that he came. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our time together, and we ask now your blessings as we go into our time of communion. Lord, we are so grateful. You are a good judge. You are not crooked in any way. You are the standard, your holiness. And our hope of standing before you is fully in Christ. As we come to the table today, may that be more of a a realization to us than it's ever been. As we take this bread and as we dip into this cup to remember, Lord, may Christ be on our minds. May Christ be on our hearts. We rejoice and yet we remember what Christ has done, and yet we rejoice in that He's coming again. Lord, may this judgment be heavy upon our hearts. May we not be people who grow bitter by how we're treated, but may we stay fresh in our hearts. May we be filled with love, and may we leave the judgment up to You, and may we keep going and preaching the gospel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.